You're the youngest senior adult I think I've ever met in my entire life. <clears throat> I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles 29. Last week we kicked off our New Day capital campaign, our New Day, New Day sermon series, and we talked about the tabernacle. We were in Exodus 25, and they're looking how God gave the instructions to Moses and the people of Israel to construct this tabernacle, this tent out in the wilderness. Those last several chapters of the book of Exodus lay out what that temple was to look like, what it was to, to include, and, and it shows us what it was going to cost the people of God. We saw last week that if we were to put all of those things in today's value or today's uh, dollars, it would cost well over $60 million to build, to construct the tabernacle. Quite an expedition, quite a construction project. I think sometimes in the church, for whatever reason, I've yet to figure this out. I've been doing this 20 years, and I've yet to figure out why in church we try to be as cheap as possible, but when we look in the scriptures, many, many times, God is never cheap. $60 million project. What a capital project. What a capital campaign this was. We saw there how God gave the money to his people to finance this project. He told him, told Moses in Exodus 3 that when you leave Egypt, well, I'm going to plunder the people. You ask for them everything they've got, they're going to give it to you. They did that in chapter 12 as they were being kicked out of the, of the kingdom. They get into the land and all of a sudden they've got all of these resources to pay for it. God takes the resources of the world and use it, uses it to fund his vision. This morning we're going to advance the story. The tabernacle, as we know, was built. It was constructed. Worship began to be inaugurated, and so the people of God were there in the promised land. All the way through the, the book of Joshua, we see how they conquest the land. They, they establish God's place there in Canaan. God was doing a great work through them. And then to come the dark days of the judges where the people of God began to stray and they began to chase foreign gods and God would discipline his people. And so you see this up and down cycle of life for the people of Israel. So much so that they began to desire a king for themselves. They had the wrong perceptive of, perception of what a king would be like. They wanted to be like the nations, but all in, throughout this, God was leading this so that Israel would truly have a king. We know Israel's first king was Saul. Saul started out wonderful, but he ended his life in ruin. The next king was the shepherd boy, David, who was the one who killed the lion. He killed the bear and killed Goliath. David was raised up to lead the people of Israel. He became the most famous king in Israel's history. And it was there in David's heart that God placed this desire. He placed this longing to build something great for the name of God. David had a desire to build a temple, to build a house for the name of God, to build a house for the worship of God. David had a vision. David had a dream. And here we are 500 years or so after the construction of the tabernacle. And even though the tabernacle was incredibly valuable and it had incredible workmanship that went into it, it is now becoming tattered. On top of that, Israel has changed. It's no longer a nomadic people in need of a mobile place of worship. They are a secure people living and established in the promised land. And so here we also have a, a, a people who've become a kingdom under the reign of David. 
They have a capital, the city of Jerusalem. And so now David, late in his life, has this desire to build in Jerusalem a permanent tabernacle, a temple based upon the pattern that God had given Moses, but greater and more grander than ever before. In fact, this temple that was to be built would be the greatest thing on the face of the earth. And although King David knew that he himself would not actually see this building, it was something that was going to be built and constructed in the future. After he passed, his son Solomon would build this temple. He nonetheless felt he could and he should help with the preparations. He understood that one of the hardest aspects of any project is the raising of funds to fund the project. And so David took upon himself the responsibility of seeing that the resources were gathered. We have two chapters in the book of 1 Chronicles that lay out this process. Chapter 28, we see David charging both Israel and Solomon, his son, to succeed him with the responsibility of building this temple. David tells Solomon, this is what you're to do. This is how you're to do it. He gives them the plans for the temple, its houses, its furnishing, and everything needed for the worship of God. And then David said this to Solomon. I want you to look at the screen. He said, Solomon, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. I want you to just take a moment and put yourself in the shoes of Solomon. He's a young man. The Bible tells us he's 40 when he takes the throne. But he's never ruled. He's never been the king. And all of a sudden, he has the responsibility of leading the people of God. But he also has the responsibility of building this incredible edifice for the glory of God. The Jews and King Solomon are absolutely uh, terrified at this project. It's enormous in scope. It's a God-sized project. Today... For our size of church, what we're seeking to do for the Lord is an enormous project. What we're seeking to do is a God-size opportunity. Some of you, I understand, are scared. Some of you, I understand the the fear that you feel, the, the, the anxiety that you carry with you. Perhaps you've even determined that there's no way it can be done because there are families in our church who live on fixed incomes or or they don't make a certain amount of money. And and so you're just wondering, how in the world are we ever going to do this? i got to believe this morning, Solomon was thinking the same things. Moses in Exodus 25 was probably thinking some of the same things. How in the world are we to do this? We don't have a church full of doctors. We don't have a church full of lawyers. We don't have a church full of uh, of business, corporate executives. We don't have a bunch of million-dollar people in our church. Pastor, how in the world are we ever going to do this? We're just a bunch of blue-collar people. We're we're country folk. How are we going to do this? We're going to do it just like everyone else has done it. We're going to trust God. We're going to believe God. We're going to faith into Him. Look again at the screen. What? What David says to Solomon, he says, be strong and courageous. This morning, are you being strong and courageous? He says, do it. Do what the Lord has called you to do. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all of the work of the house of the Lord is finished. 
We've sung about this this morning. We've talked about it's the Lord Almighty who goes before us. He's the one who's resurrected. He's the one that works in our life. He's the one who provides for us. He's the one who heals us when we're sick. He's the one that's going to resurrect us when we're dead. Do we believe that this morning? If we do, we'll take what David is saying to Solomon and we will put action to it. We will be strong. We will be courageous. We will not be afraid. But we look at it and say, I don't know how it's going to be done. We're going to say God's going to do it because he's put a vision in our heart and therefore he's going to provide for the vision. Look at this statement. You see, I believe sometimes we really think it's all about us. I've got to carry this. I've got to do it. And I'm afraid I'm not going to come through. You won't come through. You're not supposed to come through. The burden of the project rests on the shoulders of God. It rests on the shoulders of God. I don't know how in the world this is going to work out. I don't know how the money is going to come through for the project. I do believe it's sitting in, a, in the pews this morning. I do, I do believe it's here. But how's he going to do it? Who's going to give this? Who's going to give that? Let's all give what God puts in our hearts. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. See, the burden is not on me. I mean, I've carried this burden for a long, long time. But the burden is light. Because it's not my burden to carry. It's God's burden. This has been in my heart for a long time. The first time I ever stepped onto this campus, I saw these things that we're seeking to do. And I've always been trusting God that he's going to. To do it. These are the, the things that we need to change from an aesthetic standpoint, just a, a cultural standpoint, the way we look to, to make ourselves more relevant to the culture around us. The burden is the Lord's to carry. And so let us be strong today. Let us be courageous today. Let us remember that our God is faithful. Our God is present. Our God is powerful. As Nehemiah told the people in his day, let us rise and build. Let us rise and build. Some of you this morning, I, I, I know this. I've had conversations, many conversations recently. Some of you perhaps feel that this New Day campaign is a high-pressure technique to get you to give. There's nothing more than I, that I detest than a high-pressure salesman. I will walk out of a store if I feel like I'm being pressured, pressured to do something. I, this is no way a high-pressure technique. Nothing could be further, further from the truth. What we're simply doing is casting the vision of what we believe God is calling our church to do. We are sharing the need, and we are showing you how God has always been faithful to his word and to his people. If you've been with us this year, this is what we've been doing. We spent seven, eight months working through the book of Nehemiah. Now, that was not planned for me to preach through the book of Nehemiah, to set it up for us to do this campaign. I actually intended to preach through the book of Nehemiah in 2017. But God took us a little bit longer in Judges than I anticipated, and so it pushed it to 2018, but it set up perfectly for what we're doing because what we see in the book of Nehemiah is God's people doing a God-sized project they had no, absolutely no ability to do. We see there in the Bible that in 52 days, the people of God built the wall around Jerusalem. And if you remember when we got to that point, what was the testimony of the pagans around them? They said, God has done this for them. There's no other explanation that this could be accomplished other than that their God was working on their behalf and therefore their wall has been built. They did it with the help of God. This past month, we walked through some Bible stories, some very 
popular and well-known Bible stories. And we saw how God empowered Noah to build an ark for the salvation of his family. I mean, if you've been, and I've not been there yet, but if you've been to the ark up in the Cincinnati area, you know how big the ark was. How in the world was he going to build that back then? How in the world was he going to construct that back then? Not even taking into consideration he was not near the ocean and it had never rained. It made no sense whatsoever to build a boat. And yet he said, I will, God, because you said so. And he spent a hundred years building it. We saw that God calls Moses to go to Egypt and bring his people out and there on the banks of the Red Sea when Pharaoh is barrowing down on them what do we see God doing in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire he stands and protects his people this morning you're scared to death because you're afraid we're going to lose it all I've heard people have asked me this what if we can't pay the mortgage what if we can't pay that that's not even a question that comes in my mind why because God's going to protect us and God is going to provide for us. We saw that in the, in the story of Abraham where God tells Abraham to go up on the mountain, take his son through whom all of the promises of God rest and will flow through. And he says, I want you to sacrifice your son. And there on the mountain, it's Abraham faith into God, the God of Abraham provided. Then you move to the Gospels and you see Peter and the disciples sent out by the Lord across the Sea of Galilee and wind begins to push hard against them. They're rowing very difficultly and they're afraid. They're going to capsize. The water is coming into the boat. All of the things that you can imagine are going through their mind and all of a sudden Jesus comes walking. In the midst of the storm of their life, there is Jesus present with them. Do you think God's going to forsake us if he's in this? If you do, you don't know the God of the Bible. Because the word of God over and over again says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so this morning, if you don't believe that, you need to faith into God this morning. You need to believe his word. What we've been doing this year is we've been reading the word of God. And Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the word of truth. And so let the word of God speak into your life and believe it. Believe it. Some of you. You may think this is a high-pressure cell. This is nothing further than the truth, further from the truth. Some of you, I understand this morning, you're financially strapped. I get it. I've been there in my own life. We've been there as a family. There's no wiggle room in the budget. And the reason there's no wiggle room in the budget is not because you, you've got a low-paying job. It, it probably is because you're living in debt. You're so in debt you can't see water. I mean, you're drowning in debt. And so this morning, hear from your pastor today. You don't need to feel the pressure to give to the New Day because I don't want you to give to the New Day campaign. You need to take care of business in your own home. You need to get out of debt. And then when you're out of debt, and you're on a firm foundation financially, then you give. But this is what you need to do. Because this is what some believers will do when they get under the water in financial ruin is they will cut God out. And they'll try to pay everything off. But you know what you're doing? You're swimming up water. You're trying to swim up a waterfall, and it won't work. You need to put God first. You need to believe God. You need to take Malachi 3.10 literally in your life where God says, test me in this. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. Test me in this and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour a blessing upon you until there is no more need. You say amen, but do you believe that? If you believe that, you will put God the first of your budget, even though you know there's no possible way you can pay the end part of your budget. 
I've been there. I told you last week that we've been there. We've made two moves in ministry where literally we were in the red every single month going into it. And I can tell you after 15 and a half years of marriage, we've never went without. I'm not rolling in dough. I don't have the 21-foot Ranger bass boat sitting in my garage that I desire. <laughs> if any of you want to give you want to sell a ranger boat for very cheap money, um, I may be in business. But I've never went without. My kids are not hungry. God doesn't promise you health and wealth. He does promise you that the blessings of God will follow you. He does promise to to, to never leave you or forsake you. And so this morning, if you're drowning in debt, what you need to do is you need to get your finances in order. You may, that may means that you need to go get some help. You need some accountability. We offer Financial Peace University here at this church. We've got a class going on right now. Brad and Stephanie Wren are leading that. I would encourage you to, to get with them. Come to me. We will help you get out of your situation. We will help give you a plan or work a plan into your life where you can work yourself out of this predicament so that there's a day in the future when you can give above and beyond the tithe. But this morning, every believer, every follower of Jesus, you ought to give your first and you ought to give your best to the Lord. The tithe is the tenth. Start there. What we're doing this month as we work through this new day is we're looking at capital campaigns found in God's Word. And I want you to see this this morning. The giving was always voluntary. It's about giving above and beyond the tithe. The people are simply asked to give freely to these campaigns. And so as we look at the story here in 1 Chronicles 29, I want you to see the people were freely giving to the vision. And so there's no arm twisting. There's no coercion. This is just simply taking the word of God, laying it out for what it is, and you allow the word of God to speak into your heart. We're not coming to you and saying, hey, you got to give X amount of dollars because everybody's situation is different. Every person's going to hear from the Lord a different number amount. And so you need to be able to freely and openly and willingly give to the Lord. As we begin reading here, 1 Chronicles 29, we see in the very first verse a lesson. We see the task laid out here, and we learn that this is a great task that they are called to. So the first point of the message this morning is the task. Look at verse 1. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. We see here the task. The task is great. I got a brother-in-law who's an eye doctor. Eye doctors tell us that there's a fairly common childhood vision, a difficulty that's called amblyopia. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not good with those words. Basically, it's lazy eye. You've probably heard of lazy eye instead of the technical term. It's a condition that's noted by reduced vision that's not correctable by lenses or, or, or glasses, contact lenses or glasses. And the interesting things about, about lazy eyes, it's not caused by disease. Sometimes we may think that they've got some sort of eye disease, maybe a cancer in there, or, or something's happening to, to cause this, this uh, lazy eye, but that's not what happens. For whatever reason, the brain does not acknowledge the images that are seen by this lazy eye. And sometimes Christians and sometimes churches have the same sort of problem. They have lazy eyes and a deficient vision. Their brains and their hearts, for some reason, don't pick up the full extent of God's leading in their lives. 
That was not the problem for David. David had 20-20 vision of what God wanted to do in him and through him. And so he tells the people, the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. Thankfully, I don't believe our church has spiritually lazy eyes. I don't believe we're suffering from this condition. We've been seeking the Lord's face for months concerning this vision for our future. And we've learned that his vision is not small. I don't believe God ever calls us to a small task. I don't believe God ever calls us to to do something that we can do on our own. You never see that in scripture. Not one time. God always calls us to do something that's beyond ourselves. Greater than our abilities. Greater than our means. Greater than than our intellect. God always calls us to a great task. I love what one missionary said. He says, let's pray great things for God and let's attempt great things for God. Let's pray great prayers and attempt great things for the Lord. So God wants us to do something of eternal significance. He wants to do something like that in us and he wants to do it through us. He's calling us to embark on a spiritual journey here. I've told you that I, think, I believe what re- the Lord is really doing in all this is not so much that we build and renovate, it's so that God builds and renovates our hearts. That's the greatest thing. That needs. To, th- this is just simply a means to, for God to do something in us and through us. So New Day is a three-year giving journey whereby God is going to fund our project by deepening our faith as we give sacrificially above and beyond the tithe. We've said from the very beginning that this project is much bigger than wood and stone. It's about people and it's about faith. God wants to grow. God wants to develop you. He wants to develop me even as we give to build and renovate building. It's about the journey with God. David here tells the people. He said the task was great. And it was all the greater because it wasn't for himself. It wasn't about his kingdom. It wasn't about his legacy. David was really wanting to build something for the Lord. He was wanting to build a testimony for the Lord to the nations. And we can see exactly the same about, we can say exactly the same about our vision and our endeavor. It's not about being cool or or sleek. It's about how do we take what God has given us throughout the years. We're in our 173rd years of church. God has done a lot of great things. I've, I've reminded you that God's called people to ministry, sent people to the, the mission field. We've planted churches out of this church. People have been saved and baptized and discipled. God has done great things here, and he wants to build upon that history to continue to be a mighty force here and there. This is about God. and The task is great, but it isn't for us. It's for the glory of God of our great God. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about his kingdom. And that was the attitude of King David as he envisioned the building of this temple in Jerusalem. It was for the glory of God. There's a second thing I want you to see here. David begins to build the team. He lays out the task and now he's going to build the team. He's pulling people onto the team. He's building people around him. I mean, David, as we're going to see in a moment, was a very wealthy man. He was perhaps the wealthiest man on the face of the earth at this time. He was a very wealthy man. But even as wealthy as David was, there was no way that he could have done this project on his own. And I don't believe he wanted to do it on his own. I joked with one of our members a few, uh, several weeks ago now. And uh, we were talking about, I guess this was back in August, we were talking about this, what we were doing and all those things. And, and I just joked and I said, hey, if you got a couple, you know, an extra $100,000, you could, you could give it. And he made a profound statement. And I don't know if he has $100,000 or not. I was joking. But if... Maybe he has that. I'm not sure. He said, if I gave $100,000, I'd 
then it might cheat someone else of participating as well. I think you should give the $100,000 regardless. But <laughs> David here, I don't believe could have funded the project because we're going to see the numbers definitely tell us this. But he wanted others to participate. He didn't want to do it all himself. He wanted the people of God to be a part of it. Look at verse 2. It says, so I, David speaking here, I've provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold and the gold of Orpha. And 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. For all of the work to be done by craftsmen. The gold for things of gold, the silver for the things of silver. Look down at verse 6. Then the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had, been, they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. You see how big of a project this is? Now, you may get lost in those talents. A talent was about 75 pounds. And so David, the kingdom, and the people give sacrificially above and beyond to the campaign to build the temple. David tells us that he gave from the treasuries of Israel these great resources for the construction and the furnishing of the temple. He tells us also that he gave of his personal wealth. And in addition, the leaders come and they say, we want to participate in this. And this is what we're giving to what God is doing in our midst. And so I want you to just see how big of a project this is. And I, I don't want you to get lost in the numbers. That's why I'm going to put them on the screen. Talking simply about the gold and silver, the things that's easy for us to put today's dollar amounts on. Of the gold in the kingdom, David tells us that the kingdom donated to the cause of the Lord 10,000 talents of gold. Seven and a half million pounds worth of gold. Which today would be valued at 144 billion, 108 million dollars. David says he gives of his own personal wealth 3,000 talents or 225,000 pounds, which would today value at $4,323,240,000. David was a wealthy guy. The leaders come and they say, we want to participate. We're given 5,000 talents or 375,000 pounds, which values at $7.2 billion for a grand total of $155,636,640,000. How in the world could a people living in the Middle East have that much wealth? Only God could give it to them. That's of the gold. Let's look at the silver. David says of the kingdom, 
The kingdom donated one million talents of silver, 75 million pounds, valued at 17 billion, 484 million dollars. David said he gave of himself 7,000 talents, 525,000 pounds, 122 million, 338,000 dollars. He says the, the leaders came and they gave 10,000 talents, 750,000 pounds, 174 million, 840,000 dollars worth. For a grand total between gold and silver, one or 17 billion, that's not right, 17 billion and silver, and then a grand total of 173 billion, 417 million, 818,000 dollars. I get lost in numbers like that, don't you? I don't even know what $1,000 looks like most of the time, much less 173 billion dollars. I mean, those are numbers that we hear in Washington. And it's usually been spent on stupid stuff. But here's the kingdom of God building to the glory of God, and they're putting this much into it. That's not to take into consideration wood, stone, precious stones, uh, all the other things that would have been part of the furnishings. This is simply gold and silver. Here's something I want you to notice out of all that. Not everyone gave the same amount. It's not about equal gifts. It's about equal sacrifice some of you can give because you have deeper pockets than someone else that's not to say that you're more important than someone else no we're all equally important in this it takes all of us to make it happen you look at your budget and you've got along with God and you've prayed and fasted and God's put a number in your heart and if that number is $3,000 to give over three years, it's just as important as the person who got along with God and they prayed and fasted and God put a number in their heart and they're believing God for that number over three years and it's 300000 The 3000 is just as important as the 300000 because God's not calling us to equal giving. He's calling us to equal sacrifice. It's believing God for something he's placed upon our hearts. That's what the people are doing here. I've personally been through numerous capital campaigns as a church member, as a staff pastor, and now obviously leading in this endeavor. Over the years, I've got to see how the Lord works through his people and builds a team of givers of all different walks of life, all different financial backgrounds. And I've learned it takes everyone to be successful. I remember years ago in my home church as a college pastor, we started a campaign to, to build a second campus, and that campaign was called Special Treasures. We are asking people to give above and beyond the tithe to this campaign, emphasizing their special treasure. Take that boat that you have, or that piece of land that you have, or that home, or that vacation home, or your car, or whatever it is that the Lord put in your heart to give, but you go liquidate it and give that money to the Lord. And I remember one of my ministry volunteers named Milton loved to bass fish, had an old ranger bass boat. But because of his work, because of his family situation, didn't get to use it as much as he would like. So he took that boat, as hard as it was, he sold it. He sold it for $4,000, and he gave that money to Special Treasures. Now, thankfully, one of my college students bought the bass boat, and I got to fish in it still. <laughs> That's the great, no, it's not the great part of the story. Nick bought it. I remember my previous church in Alabama when we were moving into our, moving toward planting or uh, building another campus, I had become pretty good friends with uh, one of our senior adult men. His name's R.C. And uh, I blew my knee out being young and uh, thought I was young at least. 
he had just had a knee replacement. So for several weeks, three days a week, we were sitting side by side on the table as the sadist probed and prodded and twisted and manipulated our knees. And so we, you know, we had some time together each, each week. But I remember R.C., he loved our church. He believed in what God was leading us to do. And he wanted to make a commitment to that. R.C.'s getting up in years. He would retired from TBA. He was an engineer. He was not an overly wealthy man. He was a guy who was just, he, he was a good money man. He took care of his family. He had life insurance. He had all those things laid out so that his wife would be taken care of, his family would be taken care of. But he also did something that I believe all Christians should do. He wanted to make sure his church was taken care of. And so in his will, because he had all of these financials laid out and, and orchestrated, he wrote the church into his will. He wanted to make sure that we had good financial stability as we moved into this campus. And so in his will, R.C. designated $750,000 to the church. R.C. died before we ever moved into the new campus. He was a lot like King David here. He never got to saw to see what the vision was in his own heart. But he invested in it nonetheless. God builds a team around the vision. We see the test thirdly, and I need to hurry this morning, which is the story of a Sunday morning in this church. The needed resources, resources of gold and silver were being gathered. David's heart rose in praise and thanksgiving. I want you to look at verse 10. David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Skip down to verse 17. He says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Did you notice the word there? He says, test. You test the heart. I believe from time to time we have an opportunity to be part of something big that God's doing. And from time to time we have an opportunity of, of building the temple, so to speak. I, I don't want to get into comparing what we're doing to the temple, but we want to learn from this capital campaign and, and bring the principles over into what we're doing. As God here is providing these opportunities, there partly is a means of testing us to really see where our treasures lie, and to test the sincerity of our consecration to him. Because back in the second part of verse 5, David says this, who then will offer willingly consecrating himself to the Lord? Look at verse 2 again. I want you to see the progression here. Again, I have provided for the house of my God all that I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the things, silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, the wood for the things of wood. Besides these great quantities, look at verse 3. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. David's heart was with God, and so David's treasure was with God. And where God was leading David, his treasure was following. That's what the people are doing in this text as well. Their treasure is following the heart of God. I believe there's going to come a day for every one of us as we end our lives, 
as we come to the end of our lives, if you don't die suddenly and you're able to kind of contemplate things, you're going to look back over your life and you're going to wish that you'd have done things differently. I don't believe anyone ever gets to their deathbed and say, you know what, I wish that I'd have spent more on a car. I wish that I'd have spent more on vacation. I wish that I would have spent more on myself. I wish I'd have done more, 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 more. No, what they're probably going to be saying as a follower of Jesus, I wish I'd invested my life more appropriately. I wish I'd have given more time to family. I wish I'd have given more time in service to the Lord in and through his church. I wish I would have used my income and my resources to fund and to fuel and to make the kingdom of Christ expand throughout the globe. That's really what we will be thinking as we end this life. Only what we have done for Christ matters in the end. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So here, having, having set the example, David challenged the leaders to do the same. Verse 5, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself to the Lord? He could have said it like this. Now, who is willing to follow my example? Who's willing to step up to the plate? Look what I gave, now you give. He could have put an arm twisting on him, but he simply says, who's willing to consecrate, to set themselves apart, to, to holy service and holy giving to the Lord God? Give, if that's you. You see, when we give our tithes and offerings and pledge our money to help fulfill the Lord's vision, it isn't just a matter of fundraising. That's not what this is about. We are consecrating ourselves and all that we have to the Lord. To test, where's our faith? The last thing that we see here that I want to point out is the truth. Look at verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O our God, and praise your glorious name. In verse 14, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and it's all your own. You see, when we give our treasures as an act of consecration, what we are simply doing is giving back to God what is rightfully His. You are a steward. I am a steward. As a church, we are a steward of the resources of God. And so the people of God could rejoice by giving back to the Lord because they understood it wasn't theirs to begin with. They're just saying, Lord, I want to be consecrated to you. I want to be holy before you. I want what you've given me to steward, to manage. To, I want to propagate that. I want to invest that into eternal things, things that bring you glory and honor. Do you see here what, what David says in verse 16? What we give is really not ours. It's the Lord's that we're giving back. It comes from his hand. I wrote in my Bible this week. Here by verses 14 through 16, this is the doctrine of biblical stewardship. It's not mine. It's the Lord's. The Bible's approach to gold and silver and money and mutual funds and land and banking accounts and all the rest is this. God's the owner of it all. Psalm 24, 1 that we shared last week, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. See, he gives you daily bread. He gives you the ability to produce wealth. He gives you an education. He gives you skills and techniques. He's provided everything in your life that you need 
to prosper and to be fruitful. All that you have comes for him. One of the greatest joys of the Christian life is the opportunity to give back to God what is really and rightfully his to begin with. Look at verse 5 again. Who is willing to consecrate themselves and freely give? I believe that as we become more like Jesus, as we are conformed more and more into the image of Christ, we take on his characteristics. And what is Jesus like? He's a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. Even while you were at sinners, Christ died for you. He willingly ransomed his life to purchase you from sin. Jesus is a giver. As you grow in Christ, you become more and more generous. So today we're at a critical and incredible juncture in the life of our church. We can echo with David that the work is great and that we ourselves are inadequate for the task. But with God, we can do all things. And so who will freely and willingly consecrate themselves to the Lord? That's the question before us. Do we believe God? Here's a thought that's been going through my mind this week, and we're going to move into a time of response. How can we believe God for salvation and not believe God for daily provision? You will believe God for eternity, that your sins can be washed away from you. You're believing God for salvation, something you really can't even see. Eyes are not on it, but you can see money. You can look at your banking account. Those are tangible things that you can put there. They're not abstract But somehow, we say we believe God in salvation, but we have a tendency to not believe things when it comes to the pocketbook. It doesn't make spiritual sense to me. It doesn't make any sense at all. So how will you consecrate yourselves? I believe what some of us need this morning is this. The greatest need in your life could be salvation. But for those of us who are Christians, the greatest need in your life is a recommitment to Christ. Faith in the God once again. Lord, forgive me. I, I've been unfaithful. Lord, there's areas in my life that, that I just don't trust you with. Help me in my lack of faith. Give me faith. This morning, that may be what you need to pray and, and ask the Lord for. And so pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're a, a God. You are the God who loves us and cares for us. You've loved us so much that you willingly offered your life as a sacrifice there on the cross. Your blood was spilt. It was shed for the remission of our sins. And God, so many of us in this room, we have placed our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of those sins. But Lord, some haven't. And I pray this morning, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will press that reality upon every person's heart who is lost and on their way to a devil's hell this morning. God, I pray that you would so press it upon their heart that they would be willing to say yes to Jesus Christ. That they'd be willing to, to respond in faith this morning, even outwardly in coming forward and saying, I want to place my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray for Christians in this room. Christians who have believed you for salvation, but for whatever reason, they have stopped believing you for daily living. When it comes to their finances, they, they tend to think they know better. They're just not trusting you. God, help them this morning. Holy Spirit.
Spirit speak into their life. Remind them that you love them. Remind them that you care for them. Reminding them that you passionately desire great things for them. All they have to do is say yes. Lord, move in our hearts and our lives. Do something great in our midst. God, I pray for something God-sized to happen in the life of this church. And I don't care about buildings, and I don't care about renovation. I want the people in this county, the surrounding areas, and the greater Richmond area. God, I want the nations to hear that God has set down upon Red Lane Baptist Church. And he's doing a work here. And it can only happen when we say yes to you. So Lord God, help us to do that. you to stand to your feet this morning.